Stones fan, um, you're probably not going to get that. So maybe you should watch Gimme Shelter. It's a good Stones documentary. Anyway, um, so yeah, welcome to. Uh, so Marilyn, by the way, I re- re- changed the title again. Um, it's now Uncensored Stories from the Front Lines of Business. And actually, someone told me that I should probably just make it uh, like three words or something. So um, I'm going to workshop that. So we'll see. Um, and I want to, before I forget, give credit to um, this band, uh, Lafitz. Uh, ben Reisman, uh, he is Lafitz, and um, he was kind enough to let me use one of his songs at the end of last last podcast. It's called Daddy Was. He's on SoundCloud. Um, uh, ben is a really cool dude. He, um, I met him in Philly, and he um, he bought this like old. I don't know if it was an old brewery or an old like meatpacking place that was like all decrepit and he um, built it up and now it's like this beautiful recording space and performance space um, and he kind of did it a lot on his own so really cool dude his band is called Lafitz check it out um, the other thing I wanted to mention is I think in the last podcast I did I mentioned that you had to file an operating agreement with New Mexico um, to start a business, that's actually not true. Thanks, Josh, for that. Um, yeah, so uh, it's you needed to get a bank account, so you probably want it, um, and you probably want it for like ten other reasons. But it's actually you don't even have to file an operating agreement with the state of New Mexico. So it's even. I mean, it's so easy. So stop whining. Uh, okay. So anyway, first thing I wanted to get into. Um, <laughs> this is the uh, part of the. Part of the podcast, I guess it's the uh, what grinds my gears part of the podcast, um, where I'm going to whine and complain. So, uh, one of the things that one of the things that you know, just in the last 14 months, I've gotten um, gotten accustomed to is just seeing the way other business operates uh, operate. So, like for example. You know, we work we work in a co-working space. Uh, it's called Fat Pipe ABQ. It's right on Broadway and Central in uh, downtown Albuquerque. And there's a number of other businesses we see here. And then, you know, also just going to networking things. Uh, you see all sorts of different kinds of people, business people, and the way they operate their stuff. And one of the things, uh, you know, one of the things we run into is interns, right, and um, how other businesses handle interns. So we had an intern. We just recently brought her on full time. Um, we're going to have another intern start on Monday. Uh, potentially, we're going to have other interns also. And so, um, what, you know, I did my research before I brought on interns and tried to figure out what what was you know fair and right and and how to structure it accordingly. But one of the things I've noticed in at least in this town is the way that people, the way that certain businesses take on unpaid interns. Um, And so uh, let me just very quickly go over what the Federal Department of Labor guidelines are for an unpaid internship. So very quickly, there's six criteria, six criteria. So the first thing is the internship, I'm going to read verbatim, even though it includes actual operation of the facilities of the employer, is similar to training which would be given in an educational environment. So basically you have to train your interns. The internship experience is for the benefit of the intern. The intern does not displace regular employees, but works under close supervision of existing staff. Okay, so in other words, you're not hiring someone, or you're not getting someone to do work that's unpaid that would otherwise replace someone that you would need to hire. Okay, and then number four, which I think is probably the most important one and the one that certain people and businesses ignore, is that the employer the employer that provides the training derives no immediate advantage from the activities of the intern, and on occasion, its operations may actually be impeded. Okay, so that means it, you can't put an unpaid intern on, let's say, client work. 
I think it's pretty clear from that, from that guideline. You can't do that. Um, and in fact, it's, it kind of got, has to be a pain in the ass to you um, to bring on an unpaid intern. The intern is not necessarily entitled to a job at the conclusion of the internship, and the in employee and intern understand that the intern is not entitled to wages for the time spent in the internship. So that, those are the guidelines. But number four, uh, that piece about deriving no immediate advantage from the activities of the intern, um, I think that's really important. And, and basically what that means is you can't have slaves. You can't have indentured servants. Um, I've, on multiple occasions, I've seen businesses abuse this uh, um, locally, and um, it it aggravates the hell out of me. And and part of the reason is that, you know, I guess when I started out, I was kind of in the labor force and looking for internships and different things. And when you know when businesses create that kind of structure to bring on people that are unpaid, um, it's I think it's outright in the open, abusive, and exploitative. And frankly, it's really easy to build a business when you have a bunch of slaves doing your work and people you don't have to pay. Um, and and I, I don't think you need to do it. Well, no, I, you certainly don't need to do it um, to build a business. Um, and what I would say to a business owner that's thinking about doing this kind of thing is, A, it's illegal. B, in my opinion, it's immoral. Um, and C, just don't be lazy. Just work harder. Work harder to create an environment where you can pay the people that are working for you and pay them what they deserve. Um, again, you know, I, I, I mean, I think I harp on this a lot, but I, I see a lot of people trying to get something for nothing, and it drives me nuts. Um, and um, I just think it's, it's really important to pay, pay your people and pay them what they deserve, um, even an intern. Um, and so anyway, that's, that's my little rant. Um, so I, uh, next thing I wanted to do is I wanted to introduce uh, a guest. I have a guest. Um, so it's not just going to be me, um, uh, you know, ta talking ad nauseum, um, and, and emphasis on the word nauseum. Um, so I brought on a guest. Uh, so, uh, my guest today is Eric Debelak. Um, what's, what's your title, Eric? I don't know, co-owner? Co-owner of Eleven Online. Um, and so uh, just to give you a little background between Eric and I, um, when uh, I was in a, uh, my coding boot camp uh, and uh, you know, wanted to change my career, Eric was actually one of the instructors there. And he had already started his own business, but it was kind of a little side gig. And um, Eric, uh, I, I still remember this day. Um, when I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to sort of go out and try and, and do some of the stuff that uh, you and Josh had done. And I remember like uh, asking to talk to you. I sat down and we talked. And, um, you know, you were, you were very generous with your time and super helpful and, and um, gave us a lot of great advice. And then down the road, as we started to do you know, start to try and, and build a company, like uh, got a lot of great advice and, 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 um, and help and um, support. You even sent some clients our way. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, so anyway, Eric is a guy I consider uh, a friend, a mentor, uh, especially in, in business. And um, so yeah, welcome, Eric. Thank you. Um, so I guess first thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, just to kind of let people know who you are, where you're from, how you ended up in New Mexico, etc. Okay, so I, uh, where do I start? I was born in Philadelphia, but I mostly grew up in Minneapolis. And then when I was, uh, after I got married, my wife, my wife and I moved to Russia for five years. We were missionaries there. And uh, when we came back, the organization that sent us was merging with another organization that was headquartered in Albuquerque. And they, um, they offered us a job, and so we moved here, and then we decided that we... I wasn't too thrilled with the job that I had. And so I left, and I tried to start another business, and that was based on selling 
a software product out of Hungary that was based on the works of Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. All right. You mentioned this. Can you elaborate just a little bit on that? He's the, the creator of Flow. It's psychology. He's also one of the founders of positive psychology. Um, but he's done a lot of work on flow, which has to do with creativity and um, productivity and pleasure with or fulfillment with what you do. Um, it was probably the first big popularizing thing was the Dallas Cowboys under Jimmy Johnson were heavily using it when they were winning all their Super Bowls. Got it. Right. Um, so that business failed. Um, because of the Hungarian partners, they decided to try to change the agreement and get more money out of us after we'd already signed our... Um, so who was us? It was actually me and two relatives, my dad and my uncle. Got it. Um, but in that process, it was really interesting because we saw how powerful software could be. And we had a lot of interest. We even had Cargill interest in buying the software. Um, before the whole deal went bad. But after that, um, I started thinking about changing my career and going into software. And I had been doing websites on the side at that point for about nine years um, with some of my dad's other businesses. He had developers flake out and asked me to try to figure out yeah. how to fix his websites. And I did, and so I did websites for him and for some other businesses several websites over a few years and um, so I already had a pretty good understanding I was pretty familiar with certain aspects of it but I knew I had lots of gaps and so I decided to uh, get trained switch careers and uh, so this takes us to like a couple of years ago two years yeah ago? More? 13 uh, no I guess I guess I, I went to the coding boot camp in, 14, in the beginning of uh, 2014. Got it. Okay. So coding boot camp, uh, you met uh, your uh, co-founder, Josh. And then when did you guys, how quickly when you were done with the boot camp did you guys kind of start your thing and, and get it going? We started almost right away. Um, we weren't too sure what we were going to do. We weren't super thrilled with what jobs were available at that time. And so we decided to try it on our own. And we got some advice from a business consultant who told us that if you start doing this business and you do a good job, there's going to be no end of work. And that has proved to be true. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, so... You, you, but you come from a family of entrepreneurs, right? I mean, yeah. so you, you, I mean, this is, this this world is a world that you're you feel very comfortable and familiar in. Yeah, this is how I grew up. So my grandpa was the first one on my dad's side born in the U.S. Um, and I don't know the history prior to the U.S. from my Slovenian side. But since they've been to the U.S., every man in the line has been an entrepreneur. So my great-grandpa came, and Slovenians are known for, at least at that time, were known for their mining power or prowess, or however you want to say They were it. good miners? They were good miners. Okay. And so they, during World War I, the U.S. allowed a lot of them to immigrate to uh, the Iron Range in northern Minnesota. Cool. So my great-grandpa came... And he decided he could make more money as a tailor making uniforms for the miners than he could as a miner. He wasn't a good tailor, <laughs> but he was good enough to make work outfits. Right. Um, and then when he married my great-grandma, also from Slovenia, but they didn't know each other until they came met in the U.S., but um, she came as a 16-year-old girl. She was supposed to meet her uncle on the way over or while she was in transit her uncle was deported oh. uh, so she married the only man in town that wasn't terrifying and that was the tailor <laughs> <laughs> right that makes sense so she ended up doing a lot of the work and he did all the business stuff Got it. and then my grandpa was a pharmacist he owned his own pharmacy before the days of 
Walgreens, right? And yeah. CVS and back in the day. Um, and did he, he have like a soda stand or whatever? Yeah. So he he had the standard. Yeah, he had he sold soda and ice cream and all that right, stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. But his main thing was he supplied all of the nursing homes in the area. Got it. Um, and then my dad is the. He has business in his blood. Yeah. Right. He, so he was drafted for Vietnam, um, but he was sent to the Berlin Wall instead of going to Vietnam. He was an MP, so yeah. he was very happy about that. Yeah, who wouldn't be? So what he would do is, since he was at Checkpoint Charlie and was on the other side of the wall from the Russian soldiers, he would take his rations of cigarettes and things like that that he didn't need, and he would trade it to them for their Russian winter hats and their oh nice their belt buckles their military belt <laughs> buckles and they would just go and request another one <laughs> and he would turn around and sell the hats for seventy five and the belt buckles for twenty five wow. in, in the early seventies um, and he in his two years in Germany he had he would, was buying and selling cars and, <laughs> and that's so he's been just a hustler yeah he's just a hustler he tried to be a chemist. And he failed miserably. Yeah. He, he couldn't do it. It was just too exhausting mentally. Right. And yeah. so he started selling chemicals. And then um, he got into new product marketing uh, when he, he worked for the dental chair company that invented the modern dental chair. And he was part of the product development team. And um, ever since then, he's been doing new product marketing and He's introduced several new technologies to the U.S., including silicon carbon fil filters that um, clean up exhaust from diesel vehicles, especially off-road vehicles, and um, some ceramic water membranes for wastewater. He's introduced a lot of different uh, kind of high-technology products to the U.S. That's yeah, that's amazing. So he, so I grew up with that. I mean, he did. We did basically lose everything once. Um, but I think that's, that was a good thing to go through, even, <laughs> though, even though it was bad when I was, I was in middle school. So, yeah. you know, the time where you want the right clothes and stuff like sure, that, we yeah. couldn't have any of those things. But what I did see was my dad had a big failure and it was fine. Right. And so a lot of people I think in business are afraid of what might happen. Yeah. But my family is proof that you can come back and yeah i mean count me as one of those people that's afraid of what can happen <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and it's interesting just because my my background on that's that, that stuff is is very different um and you know i think it maybe has colored um a lot of my observations because i'm pretty new to this because my father's a physician um and, you know, he had his own practice, but it, it was uh, managed. He, he hired people to do all the business stuff. And, um, you know, my uncle is a prof at George Washington. Uh, like a lot of academics in my family, a lot of, um, you know, not. I think my grandfather was an entrepreneur in some ways. I would say hustler. I don't know if he rose to the level of entrepreneur. Um, but he had like a he had like a, a job for the, this is in Peru. Um, he had a job, he had like a city job, but then he was like an art dealer, and he had all these like famous artists that were friends and threw parties. Very like a kind of social guy, and uh, put on you know exhibitions and things like that. Uh, he, he's quite the character. I didn't get to know him that well, but um, yeah, that's that's pretty much about it um, yeah and academics is pretty low risk yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah no I'm a, my wife is an academic so yeah it's a very <laughs> yeah this is uh this is you know but to speak to what you were saying i mean uh, and to quote dune in a in a very stereotypical way um you know fear is the mind killer mm. and i mean I, 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 I'm happy to admit that I have fear, but um, I'm not going to let it stop me from doing the things I need to do, I think. Um, but, yeah. I think people need to... 
there's obviously people in our society who, when they get to zero, they can't recover. Yeah. You know, there's people who all they can get are minimum wage jobs, and then they can never pull together enough money for a down payment for an apartment and things like that. Um, but I think for professionals, um, I just don't think there's a ton of risk. If, if you're healthy, um, if, every, if you lose, let's say you lose everything, um, I could go out and get a job that would allow me to save enough money for a down payment on an apartment and I could start rebuilding. Right, yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of people that don't have those skills. Right. But I think if you are one of the people that have those skills, you just don't need to be afraid of giving something a try. And I have a family and I'm the primary income earner in my family and I have three kids. Yeah. And still, I just don't feel like if something happens, it's gonna be just this huge catastrophe. And Yeah. It's interesting because the stakes are maybe, are certainly lower for me in, in many respects. And I'm probably more afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, anyway, so look, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, talk to you a little bit about what, like, what was the key to um, growing Eleven Online to where you have it now? Um, I mean, I know, I know certain pieces of it, but if you could elaborate, obviously the market has something to do with it. But, um, but what, what were some of the moves that you guys made that? that helped you guys grow? Yeah, so the first thing, really the way we got started is we did, we helped out with uh, an event website. Um, we didn't have any other, when we started we didn't, we had a couple leads that took a long time and some of them didn't work out. Um, so we decided just to do something for free and kind of get our names out there. And as soon as we did, we just started having work come in because people saw we could deliver. And I think that's really what is the key uh, for us. We've gotten almost all of our work from referrals. And so when people see that we deliver, they refer other people. And now we do a lot of work for um, ad agencies so they come to us with their technical stuff. They might do design work and stuff like that, but they need people to build functionality. And um, they've, we're definitely not the first developers they've worked with, um, but they're the one, we are the ones they keep on working with. So, what, so beyond the fact that you deliver, which should be a given, <laughs> right? What, I mean, what is it about, why do you feel like they keep coming back to you? I mean, what, what, what do you guys, where what are your advantages? What, what are your unfair advantages over Unfair other advantages? I don't feel like any of them are unfair. Okay. I feel like being professional, being responsible, doing what you say you're going to do is enough. I can't see. This is funny because it's like, it, can it be that easy? But what's interesting is that I do feel a lot of the same way in that, you know, I answer my phone. I respond to emails. I, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, think about the same thing as an auto mechanic. Yeah. I think a lot of ways what we do is similar in the sense that when I open my car, and I used to have a car that had a manual choke that I could fix everything in. Oh, nice. I open my car now, and I can barely make heads or tails yeah. of the majority of what's happening sure so I have to go to someone I trust to understand and be fair with things I don't understand and if I find a person that I trust I'm gonna recommend that person to everybody because everyone's in the same shape sure and same with websites people don't understand what it takes to build a successful website um, and today it's harder than it's ever been yeah um, Consumers have lower tolerance for how long a website should take. So even the fact of installing WordPress or something like that, uh, you are, the average person is not gonna be able to get a site that can load in under three seconds. Right. Which means 40% of your visitors are gonna bounce. Right. So basically, you're not knowing how to do that 
costs you potentially 40% of your online business. Um, and that's just the nature of how things are now because things, when I started building websites in, in 04, it was a whole nother game. It was very easy to get into. Basically, you would create HTML pages <laughs> and put them on the web. Right. Uh, and now, the different steps that go into making what would be considered a modern website, the bar is just so much higher for getting in. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so people don't know those things, and they have to find people that they trust. Yeah, right. And often, we, we ran into this this week. People hired us. Their previous developer flaked out. And because things weren't set up right from the beginning, I imagine that they're going to pay us as much as they paid their original developer to fix the things that weren't set up in the beginning. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I think we've run into a lot of the same stuff, right? Um, yeah, right now, uh, this morning, I was contacted by someone that wants us to take over their site, and there's just a ton of debug tasks. Um, and yeah, the developer just took off. I mean, you know, but let's speak a little bit more to that specifically in, in our world. I think the problem is full-time work. So a lot of people are not in this game full-time. They might have another job and they're doing it on the evenings and weekends. Right. And as soon as that becomes inconvenient for them, they're, they're out. And so my advice to people is never hire someone who's not full-time. Yeah, who doesn't have who their development work, their contracting work is not their full-time gig. Right. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. they're people who it's their full-time gig and they're not looking for other work. They're looking to build a business. And the people who do it to earn some fun money, extra fun money, they don't care. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. Some of them I'm sure care. But no. it's still not their main focus. It's right. not their Well, they might have good intentions, but you're right. It's not their main focus. So how can they I mean, you're not going to have the same kind of relationship with someone like that as a client. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, can you, can, you, can you talk a little bit about the challenges, the lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years, I mean, in a larger sense? Yeah, we've, we've made mistakes, obviously. Um, yeah, tell me about your mistakes. <laughs> I think our biggest mistakes is in the beginning, we're not being picky enough with who we work with. And that's a pretty, that's a common mistake, I think, for I mean, we, we made the same mistake. I mean, but it's hard to evaluate these things now, you know, because they weren't mistakes. It's like they weren't, none of them were fatal. Mm -hmm. And, and we learned, I feel like we learned a lot from those experiences, you know, and so yeah. they were worthwhile in some kind of way. Yeah, I think the big thing is learning who you want to work with and only working with those kinds of people. And occasionally we'll take little jobs where that's not the case, but we really avoid anything that's more than a few hours worth of work if we don't feel good about it. So we often like to we try to avoid doing huge, signing on to huge projects without doing any kind of, without doing more significant interaction up front. Yeah. Um, we, if we take on an existing application, we like to do a trial period and we suggest these things. And usually I think a lot of people, it's the employer suggest it, but we, we want it too because we want to work with people we want to work with. Right. Yeah, and there's there a lead that does something that happened to me yesterday. There was a, a lead that wanted us to take over maintenance work on a on a, a pretty large web application and you know, I don't don't know anything about it and I said, you know, why don't we why don't you come up with a scope of work, things that need to be to get done now, and why don't we use that as a sort of trial period to see how things go, to see if you know, we, we like each other and we can work together. And then after that, we can come up with a better, you know, arrangement for the, for the future. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and I think you're right. I think clients respect that. 
because they see that you're confident. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's like, okay, well, he's giving me a trial period, you know, and, and also I think it also gives them a little bit of skin in the game and a little stake in it in some ways too, right? Because they're trying out too. Right, exactly. Are they going to be the kind of people I want to work with? Right. And Josh and I have been, Josh Garcia, my business partner, and I have been at this place for a long time where we don't need more work. And when we stopped wanting work and being, and really making sure that these are people that want to work with us, uh, things have just gone so much better. We actually get more deals closed as a percentage, I think, because people see that, that you know, we're serious, we're not chasing them for business. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because I think probably around six or seven months ago, we pretty much started getting every, almost everything referrals. Mm -hmm. And since then, you know, I use this proposal, um, uh, like software as a service online. Um, I'm thinking about actually switching, so I'm not going to give them a plug. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, yeah. So I sent all my proposals through there, and I mean, I was look, I was reviewing. Um, every one of those proposals has been accepted. So like, it's like you go into these kinds of things now, where with confidence, and you're juiced in. You know, um, uh, you know, like uh, because you have a good referral or someone you know passes along good information about you. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, de I definitely, I definitely agree with that. What, I guess what, I don't know. So like, yeah, to switch gears a little bit, um, you know, something I talked about last time, or I don't know if I talked about it enough last time, but um, for me personally, politically, um, you know, I, I guess, I guess you see a lot of people that go into business, and I think that politically they kind of. I mean, I, I've observed this. They sort of start, you know, I don't know, uh, kind of veering more to the right. Um, and surprisingly for me, uh, it's kind of been more in the other direction, um, if anything. Uh, and part of, that, part of that has to do with, frankly, the way I see other people conduct business. And also, I think, there is a certain kind of person oftentimes that is attracted to entrepreneurship. Um, you know, uh, that's my wild generalization. <laughs> but, um, but, and so, yeah, so like I, I it's, it's funny because I've, I've definitely felt um, a lot kind of more off to the side or not, I feel like not, not necessarily part of the group and, and that might just be because, you know, working at a co-working space and, and when we first started, we had no connection. So I had to do a lot of networking just to even meet people and, and so forth. Like you meet a lot of people and um, they don't impress you. Or at least they don't impress me. Um, and some of their business practices certainly don't impress me. And people would brag, you know. And so, like for me, like I felt like I've kind of drifted more to the left, if anything. But... Like, what's your experience, man? I mean, you have a different background than I, than I have. Yeah, I don't think my politics have changed. Um, but I grew up in a house where my dad has been everything from, like, a libertarian to a socialist <laughs> <laughs> over the course of his life. Yeah. My mom has pretty consistently been a Democrat. Yeah. Um, and I think I have a more pragmatic view yeah i don't feel like with politics i have an ideological view so i don't think government is inherently evil yeah or business is inherently evil yeah or maybe i should say maybe both are inherently evil maybe i haven't decided <laughs> um but it's not one is good the other is bad see that that's um you know that's uh that's like Catholic talk right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love John Paul II. So, <laughs> right. so I think 
the role of business and government together yeah. should be to moderate each other. Yeah. So it shouldn't be one way government only regulates yeah. business or business only kind of puts its interest into government. It yeah. should be two-way street. And so right. I, on all the political tests, I come out as libertarian because I don't fall into anything. Yeah. Like I'm for universal health care. Right, exactly. But I come yeah. out on all the tests as a libertarian. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know, there's such a thing as a left libertarian. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the, the traditional dynamics of politics in this country, um, you know, it's at least in the last, what, since Nixon, it's social conservatives and free market people and that makes no sense at all to me and that's <laughs> unlike almost anywhere else in the world um you know especially certainly europe and so um and you, you're starting to see that those alliances are kind of fracturing yeah they are um and you know people are so worried about politics these days i'm excited are you i'm excited because yeah because yeah because i i think the way that these alliances are fracturing are, are being put out there in the public so much more. And I think it's giving people, it's allowing people to imagine. Yes. That might be true. This is, I mean, this is as hopeful and optimistic <laughs> as you're going to get me. But um, I, I think, yeah. And it could be generational too. Yeah. That more people, I'm, I mean, I'm like on the edge between a, Gen X and a millennial, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean so I know you are too. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if, if it's just an age thing or I don't know, it's hard to say. I do think, though, like with universal health care, that's a case where I feel like business has so screwed it up. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's very common where business has so utterly screwed things up. Well, you know, and, and with that, on that piece, like as a small business, universal health care would allow me to compete for employees a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't have to worry about that in some, in some way, like that, that, that would be, that would, that would allow me to compete for the services for more highly skilled and more highly talented people for their services with other companies that are larger. Yeah. And that, I mean... I, I, one of the things that I think I've learned, I mean, you know, I sort of knew it before, but now having gone through this experience, like, is that the interests of big business and small business are often not aligned. Yes. And even how a lot of regulation works. So, for instance, for small business, bringing on a new person, the HR costs for each person you add are much higher as a percentage of the business. Yep. Whereas, you know, if you go from two to three or three to four, it's a huge jump because with just administrative stuff, there's so much more to do. But if you go from 20 to 21 or 500 to 501. Right. Yeah, absolutely. um, It's not a big difference. So, yeah, the big business has a lot of different issues than what small business does. And. I don't. I didn't prepare any numbers, but yeah. I know that small business creates a lot of jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I. That. That is like one of the crowning achievements of our business so far is that, like, no matter what happens, I created a job. Yeah. That's like amazing. That like is amazing. That makes me feel really good. And like, I'm doing everything. I'm working so damn hard to make sure that this job that I created, like that I can give raises, that I can do the things that um, I want to be able to do to keep people on that I think are talented are going to help us grow. But, and, and, and that's like, that's an, you know, like that's an amazing feeling that you're helping to give someone in some way some purpose. Um, that's really cool. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that'd be an interesting thing to, so what about the, what are you guys trying to do in the future? What, what's, what's, what's the next move? You know, you don't have to reveal nuclear yeah, secrets here. We're talking about that every day <laughs> or, or nearly every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been moving a lot more into bigger applications. Um, 
right now we have uh, gigs that will are three big applications that we work on every week. Um, so it would be. So we're doing we're doing that. We're doing a lot more agency work where we're doing the technical stuff for marketing or PR or other kinds of uh, ad agencies, things like that. Um, so we're we're trying to think about how to grow more. And what's hard is a lot of the work we're doing is it's uh, it would it'd be a huge investment for us to bring on somebody because we don't know anyone who's looking for a job with the skills that we need. Um, now I might get emailed by 50 people. <laughs> not, not anytime soon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not anytime soon. I believe there's three subscribers and one of them is me. <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's fine. We're, we're, we're working on it. So we're doing a wide variety of technology. And so we're, we're trying to figure out what we'd like to do is figure out how we could get some more entry-level work, train somebody, and we're, we are going to be interviewing people next week. Um, and so we're, we're feeling like we might just need to invest and maybe not have a ton of work that'd be easy for an intern to do right now, but help them grow. And I mean, I taught at the coding boot camp here in Albuquerque for a year, just at first two days a week, then one morning a week at the end. And I think, so I have a really good understanding of the skill level that the graduates are at and know what would be the spots for our business um, that the curriculum didn't cover. And so I think we could come up with a good training program. Um, but what's hard is we're working on one Python application with a React front end. We're working on a initially fixing bugs and then completely rewriting a huge PHP application with 100,000 users. We do uh, a full stack JavaScript product that's like an internet of things kind of product. So our work is very varied. Yeah. And so it's almost hard to know where to start in training somebody. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's, it's more important that you figure out how to measure how much someone can learn and how interested they are in trying to tackle different things than necessarily have specific skills. But I'm sure you know that. I mean... Yeah, it's just a lot of... For them to work on all our projects... It's a lot of things to learn. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think maybe one approach is figuring out one product, one project. Yeah, and that's what we were thinking. Um, we yeah, we just don't we don't have a lot of stuff that would be super easy to jump into. So we've been we were talking today. Maybe we spend three months where the person would largely just up his or her skills and kind of learn something before they jump into client work. Really? Yeah, it might be less than that. It would depend, it all depends on what kind of work we have. Yeah. I don't know, you could, I don't think, you, you could seg, I'm sure you could find, segregate some piece of client work that's pretty low risk. Well, what's hard is, let's say we take low risk from those three stacks. Yeah. It would all be in a different technology. Right. So, so even then, you're maybe at a lower level, but you are learning three different technology stacks. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It is. So we aren't where you guys are necessarily in terms of the number of those kinds of projects we're working on. But I think for me, just looking at it from our end, it's been important to bring on people to at least handle certain pieces of our business that aren't going to go away. Mm -hmm. um, and we have already brought on one person to do that. We're just looking to add a fourth person. Yeah. But this person we're looking at would be more heavily in development. Right. So, I don't know. 
it's uh, it's hard to know until we just start interviewing. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, and we're cautious. One of the things that I do know that a lot of businesses make a mistake of is they grow too fast. And so we want to be, we want to grow not too slow and not too fast. <laughs> and we're trying to figure out what that pace is. Yeah, it is. It's a hard thing to figure out. And I mean, yeah, so we're, we're going to be at three plus an intern and it's an intern that I hope if, if things work out, I hope we would keep that person on full time. But then we, we have this other project that it's a big project, at, but it's a low risk on the technical side project. And so for that, I mean, really, we need labor. <laughs> we, we need just to throw hours at it. And so for that, I think that um, we're going to bring on a couple of people that we don't necessarily intend to keep on afterwards. And they know that. Mm -hmm. um, to help us out specifically with that. But when those two people are <laughs> up, then there's six of us yeah. that are working and doing work for the company that, you know, is Jay and I's company, <laughs> you know, like it's myself and Jay's company. So, yeah, I, I'm, str I'm stressed about that. <laughs> but I don't. I just don't see another way. You know, I don't see another way to to do that. And I just think I, I have to do a really good job of quality control. I have to do a really good job uh, in in training people, in 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 educating people. And the kind of work, the new work that we're gonna have these new guys do is, it's you know, there's 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 gonna be a client management piece to it. There's gonna be a client interaction piece to it. Uh, so it's. It's going to be a lot of learning, but but at the same time, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, and remember, there's two ways to grow. You can grow by increasing volume and adding people, and or you can grow, which is the way Josh and I have focused more on, is getting bigger and bigger profile, uh, higher or higher difficulty level projects. Right. Um, so I think not everybody realizes that. There's lots of ways to grow, and you can do both at the same time. Yes. Um, but we've certainly been focusing almost exclusively up until this point on getting higher profile things. Now, do you think, so like for me, like um, for me, part of it is like I'm, I love, I love working. Um, and I want people around that feel the same way. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want people around that are something for nothing people and I feel like so growing the way you're talking about and I don't think this is what you guys are doing at all but a lot of times people try and use that approach to basically get away with like working like 10 hours a week mm -hmm. and so for me my personality I couldn't deal with working 10 hours a week mm -hmm. I would lose my yeah. mind yeah, and we could work less, but off a lot of that time that we gain by doing higher paid work, we dump into startups and things right. like that. Yeah. So yeah, um, so we take we're involved now in three startups. Um, so that takes a fair amount of time. Yeah. I guess four startups. Yeah, four startups. So we're involved in, <laughs> besides our <Right>. company, <laughs> we're involved in four other companies. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... And, and we, we like, you know, that's a risk, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we're risking our time that could be spent with family or making more money or other things like that. But um, my biggest motivation is not making more money. My biggest motivation is doing something that I like and I like starting companies and yeah it's fun isn't things. it it can be it's not always fun but I mean the starting of the company <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily the running of it but the starting of it there's always like optimism and yeah you know and and yeah it's addictive I I mean one of the things I've learned I think is I can't go back I can't go back to working in an office <laughs> I don't know how like if I ever have to be put in that position Man, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, you know? 
I can't imagine working anywhere other than outside of my home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's addictive to be able to dictate and, and have a say in how your work life is going to be, is going to run and how you spend your time in your work life. Um, and having the power to make decisions that affect um, what your work life looks like. So, um, not, and it, not everybody likes that, though. Right. It's, uh, I used to work with some people who were Marines. Yeah. And uh, they had this pass-the-buck attitude. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Where I don't know if it's a chain of command kind of thing you're taught to respect the chain of command right. and the guy above you made the decision and um, it was frustrating though for me because I want to take you know have some agency yeah yeah no and I think um, you know every day um, I think about how I don't have to deal with like HR <laughs> I don't have to deal with like you my company HR <laughs> Yeah, I don't have to deal with my companies like my old companies like, you know, their 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 policies. I don't have to go to stupid meetings where I it's like I, it's wasting my time and uh, I don't have to deal with um I don't have to deal with people I don't respect having a, a say in what I um and in, in what I'm doing in in my productivity. So, yeah, I would just man, it would be so hard. It's like uh it's it's so stressful but it makes it, it makes me so much happier. Like, I've never been, like, in general, I've never been happier in life, I think, you know? Um, so, in any case. Um, so, yeah, and the last thing, I, I, I just want to, yeah, I guess I just want to announce to um, the uh, three subscribers, including myself, <laughs> um, that, um, that uh, myself and Jay, my business partner, and Eric and Josh, um, have started a, a, a new company. It's a kind of a partnership between the two companies. Um, it's called Render. Um, I'm not going to say the joke, Josh. Um, <laughs> Please um, don't. <laughs> it's, it's Render with missing an E at the, the the last E is missing. So it's like it's like Tumblr. Is that better? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, the new it's a it's a partnership between us um, building uh, large scale web applications and maintaining them. And um, right now we're working with a startup and um, this has pretty much been the kind of first. I mean, we worked a little bit before, but this has been like the sort of first week where we've actually worked together a fair amount. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super stoked. I'm super stoked for the future. There's a couple of other opportunities that we got coming potentially um, and um, um, and and you know and I wanted to add that you know both Eric and Josh have been um, like I said um, mentors and uh, like super helpful and frankly they they kind of um, they blazed the trail in my mind for the kind of stuff that we want to be doing and the direction we want to be moving in in the future so um, thanks for that guys um, and uh, Eric you have anything to say you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a pick of the week? No, I don't. Okay. All right. Nothing? Well, okay, so I've been reading a very good book. Huh? Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. Um, no, I'll, I'll do. Okay, so that that is worth reading. Um, What's the name of the book? He has like twelve books. What, you like that one the best, Finding Flow. Um, yeah, for for running a business, the best one is, uh, I think it's, if I remember, it's Good Business. And it's Still. about how to run a company or how to run an organization so that people are fulfilled in what they do. Yeah. And he studies all these different organizations. And it was a follow-up. So he did Flow or Finding Flow and then he started doing research into applying that into different areas. So it's not, um, it's, I mean, you know, it's not like some Tony Robbins type shit, right? Like, it's like, no, it's, it's like practical. Yeah. Advice. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm not, you know, I, I figured, but. Yeah. Uh, the other book I've been reading, rereading, it's a, a 
I don't know how you say the author's last name, Metexas, Eric Metexas maybe, it's spelled M-E Texas. And it's um, a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who is most well known probably for um, the book, The Cost of Discipleship. I'm not familiar. He was a German pastor in, uh, in Nazi Germany and was killed in a concentration camp. And it's about his life and uh, the things that kind of the conclusions he came to of what it meant to be a pastor in Nazi Germany and um, to be a Christian in Nazi Germany. And right. he ends up trying to assassinate Hitler. <laughs> so it's... Well, oh! Yeah. Wow. He, he becomes involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. The 44 plot? Um, it, they attempted several times. Right. So there was the very famous... The, there was the, the famous 44 plot, but that was like the military, that, right? That was like Well, some that's of the, the one where they left the bomb in the right. office. He yeah. was involved in that plot. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's a very interesting journey he went on and uh, how he started resisting... Um, how initially it was just a church movement and then it moved on from that. And yeah. He also studied and worked in the U.S. for a while, in England and in uh, Spain. So he saw a lot of different things. and It's just a very interesting book. Raises cool. a lot of good questions. Excellent. Thank you. Um, what, sorry, the name of it again? I think it's... Oh, I'm not going to remember. It's... Uh, Pastor, prophet, spy, or something like that. Okay, all right. I'll I'll look it up. Uh, so my pick uh, this week, and again, it's books. I I, I really was thinking about TV and uh, movies and blah. I like like I like all kinds of things, but I thought you know people should read books. I think people should read books, and and uh, so my pick is the the Great Gatsby. Um, again, apropos of nothing. So. Uh, I read The Great Gatsby as a as a young man, um, and it's interesting because I was into um, Hemingway and, and Fitzgerald, and Hemingway, I think, kind of hung out together, or you know, in Paris, um, in the salons, and, and they could not be more different. Um, in uh, you know, I, I, the thing about Gatsby is the uh, I, the prose is so beautiful. The prose is so beautiful and Gatsby um, and you know I love Hemingway's prose uh, you know very much and but they're very very different they're very different but both like uh, great in their own kinds of ways so I was just going to read a quick ep excerpt sorry um, because I love this I love this prose it's from the first it's from the very first page I I encourage you the first 10 pages of Gatsby um, if you don't get sucked in uh, you don't have a soul in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, um, conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform and in a sort of moral attention forever. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. Only Gatsby, the man who gives his name to this book, was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. And this, this next line is like amazing. If personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him, some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. The res this responsiveness had nothing to do with the flabby impression impressionability, which is dignified under the name of creative temperament. It was an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I have never found in any other person and which it is not likely I shall ever find again. No, Gatsby turned out all right at the end. It is what preyed on Gatsby, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. I don't know, I, I, I just think it's, it's great. It makes me want to read it right now. Um, and it's a very interesting examination of the rich in the, in the 1920s. And, um, you know, Gatsby is like, to me, one of the great antiheroes um, in, in American literature. Um, like, much like many antiheroes, I relate. Uh, <laughs> I relate to Gatsby <laughs> very much. He's like deeply flawed. Um, 
but you know, there's the, you know, he kind of made it on his own as a bootlegger, and and you know, he sort of played in contrast to Tom, who's the guy that is married to Daisy, who's the girl that he was in love with, and and Tom is this like you know, just totally banal, rich, you know, uh, New Yorker, uh, Hamptonite. Um, so I don't know. It's just great. It's great. And and forget the movies. Read the fucking book. Just read the fucking book. Like the movies are fine, but you know, especially Baz Luhrmann's movie. Like, uh, you know, like I'm watching the damn movie and then I have to hear like a Jay Z song. Come on. Like, um, it just I don't know. Anyway, read the book. The book is great. So, so that's it. Um, uh, Eric, you want to plug anything? Your company? We're eleven online. 11online.us. Okay, cool. That's 1-1 one, one instead of... It's 1-1 uh, one, 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 one online.us. <laughs> right, yeah. got it. Um, okay, um, Marilyn, can you swing over to the mic and promote your, uh, promote your company? Thanks, everyone, for joining us, uh, promoting Brave Social. It's uh, at bravesocialco or bravesocial.co. So join us um, in social media land. Uh, and uh, their website's coming uh, soon. We're building it. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, yeah, and, and um, check uh, my company, mine and Jay's company, uh, Hermes uh, Development. It's hermesdev.io. Um, and um, soon to come, uh, check out renderconsulting.com. Oh, that's the new company. Um, and anyway... Um, I guess that's it. We're done. Take care. Y yo recuerdo aquel ayer 
Nombre, pues. 